You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. I really wanted to hug Andrew just then, and I can't. (laughs) It's hard. (laughs) Hi. Hello. Thank you for joining with us, wherever you're joining with us. Um, Guys, I just want to start off right now by saying, I miss you. I miss our church family so much. For those of you that are streaming, thank you for worshiping with us. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm not going to tell you that this has been easy. This has been really difficult. I have definitely had my share of meltdowns. Um, moments, I have definitely really missed my humans and hugging and, you know, seeing each other. I have definitely felt sad and lonely and troubled and confused and overwhelmed. I have been through all the gamut of emotions. Also, my pants are a little tighter. That's real. I just believe there's a grace. I think there's a grace for cookies in this season and a grace for cupcakes in this season. There will be a grace for salad in the season to follow, but for this season, we're just going for the carbohydrates. Um, Moms, I do just want to give you a quick shout out to, I am standing with you in solidarity. If you have young kids at home, as we are for the first time really playing the role of 24-7 butler, cruise ship director, educator, social scheduler, all of those things, okay? I know it's been hard. I am with you. We can do this. Um, Guys, this season has been uncomfortable. It has been uncomfortable to say the least. I have really come face to face with um, some of the ugliest parts of myself. And I hope I'm not just speaking to myself. (laughs) I think that this is part of the design, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But I've come face-to-face with some of the ugliest parts of my personality, um, some of the weakest parts of myself, my behavior, and, and my family, and I have, I love how my friend so eloquently put this on her social media page. She said, my family and I have received a unique opportunity to perfect our kindness towards one another. And uh, let me tell you, that has not been easy either. And I think we're all probably experiencing that. Um, our comfort has been deeply challenged. Our level of comfort and also our level of convenience And that's been challenging and also maybe a little bit eye-opening and potentially a little bit embarrassing as those things have been sort of threatened and challenged. But my point in all of this is that it hasn't been easy. But you know what? Revolutions never are. And that's where I'm heading today. Because today, I believe that we are on the precipice of something totally unlike anything that we have ever seen. And if we're being honest with ourselves, if we can just take a moment, I'm going to talk about where we've been, where we are, and where I believe that the church is heading. This is really difficult for me. I usually am marching back and forth on the stage, and I will stand still so that I can talk to you. Um, But if we can be honest with ourselves, I believe that we have felt the stirring, the shifting, the change in the body of Christ coming long before the corona moment that we're living in right now. And we're, we're finding ourselves in a unique situation, but I think we need to look back and see the writing on the walls before we can look forward and think where we're headed. So I'm going to rewind a little bit. Can you stay with me? Let's talk about it. 
February 2019, something kind of amazing happens and we're just so happen, we just so happen to be lucky enough to live in Orlando where the send came and took place. And the send happens and, and, and millions of people get activated to run hard for the gospel. And, and the conversation, the prophetic words and the conversation around the billion soul, soul, the billion soul harvest starts to bubble up. We start to hear this thing and we start to get excited. The church starts to wake up. The church starts to vibrate. The billion soul harvest is coming and we all have to go, oh, wait, a billion people is a lot of people. I don't think we're ready for that right? Then Andrew and the pastoral team here at Acts 2 Church start looking into new community, new development resources and opportunities for the church. We start going, hey guys, something's got to change. We love what we've got here. What we've got going is really good, but something's got to shift. And then let me try to get through this. The global church came together in a way unlike anything I think we've ever seen in December of 2019. When baby Olive Elaine Heilgenthal, I know I said that wrong, passed away in California. And the church rallied to see that baby wake up. And we pressed in hard for revival. And crazy miraculous things started happening. And I know we didn't get the answer that we waited, that we wanted this side of heaven. But I'm sure you know that her full name, Olive Elaine, means victorious awakening. And again, we felt the shift the church starts coming alive. The church starts waking up, bubbling up. A change is coming. Hunger is being stirred. Something is changing. Revival is breaking out. The world is getting hungrier. People want the unhindered church, the unboxed church. And then in January, Andrew began really speaking and leading us well into our church changing. And, and not just for our church, but for the body of Christ. A shift, a change, a stirring. And we then roll out small groups on, in, a, in a brand new phase of community on purpose and people development to launch individuals into their destinies. I'm talking about weeks before this happened, like right then. And there's no accidents in the kingdom. There are no mistakes in the kingdom. The writing was on the walls then you guys. And what I'm not saying is that the coronavirus was God's plan. I do not believe that he sent it, that he caused it, but I do believe that he's using it. He was on the move long before Corona ever showed up, shaking the bottle of the church, stirring the hearts. A victorious awakening was underway and then coronavirus comes in and God uses it and he breaks the church. He breaks the church open. So my working title for this message as it began stirring in my heart was the church will never be the same and why that's a good thing. So Andrew's been speaking to this a little bit before um, in his messages in the, in, the, in the weeks leading up to this and also on our family group. If you missed that live that he did, you can log on and watch it there. But speaking to the fact that, hey, if we're looking to go back to the way things were, we're gonna miss it. As he's saying, behold, I am doing a new thing. Coincidentally, behold was my word for the year. And I think it's starting to prove a point. 
I saw a meme recently. I believe it was on Danny Silk's Instagram. It was a meme and it was God and the, and the devil were talking to each other. And the devil said, ha ha, I closed your churches. And God said, ha ha, I opened one in every home. Our 100 to 120 member family, I try to do some rough math based on average families here, is now approximately, give or take, 40 micro churches across Central Florida. All of this is to say we are on the verge of something right now. And so that's where we were. And I believe what we're in right now is a strategic season of development before the church gets unleashed. Because the doors are about to open, right? The plan has been laid out. We know it's not going to be a, a, a ready, set, go. It's going to take some time. But the, chur- the church is about to be unleashed. The doors are about to be open. And what we do right now in preparation is going to launch us into what's next. So if that's true, which I believe it is for a few reasons, here's my reasons. I believe it's true because I believe the Lord has been leading and prepping us up to this point. The stirring, the shifting, the changing, the hunger is undeniable. I also believe it's true because his word and his promise that absolutely everything gets used for his glory and for our good. Nothing is wasted. That's a true promise. Third, the prophetic sense that many leaders are getting separate from one another. Many church leaders are feeling this as well. Bill Johnson is speaking to it. Heidi Baker is speaking to it. Many big prophets and the church leaders and world leaders are sensing the same thing. So all of those things are lining up and showing me, hey, we're on the verge of something here. Let's not just kick it into survival mode, though I do understand. I've been in survival mode. I understand. But I don't want to just kick it into survival mode when I can position myself for what's next. Okay, so what then can we be doing? I'm going to try to break down for you guys some practical tools, maybe some spiritual tools, and maybe some challenging things for us, and know that I'm not getting any of this right. And before I say any of it, I want you to know it's not meant to be, here's all the things you should be doing, because I think there's been this message of productivity out there that is a little twisted and not actually accurate, and it can, it can, kind of be a little shaming. And that's not what I'm after. What I'm after is intentionality. How can we position ourselves intentionally in this moment and not miss what the Lord is doing? Because he is up to something because he's always up to something. So step number one, you ready? Number one, lead your people. Hear me when I tell you every single person that I'm talking to Every single one of you, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter your position in your family, no matter your job title, you're a leader. You're, all of you are leaders. The gap between layman and leader is non-existent. Andrew Lamb literally cannot lead your family right now. And that was actually never the design anyways. But now it's an actual impossibility. For too long, we've been outsourcing our spiritual development to someone else. We've been outsourcing our kids' spiritual development to someone else. We put it up to the responsibility of the youth pastor. Hi. It's the responsibility of the kids' leader. It's the responsibility of Andrew Lamb to feed me and my family spiritually. 
It's the responsibility of the church to be the establishment that keeps the community healthy and that meets the needs of the community. That was never the design. And so now where we had this weird gap and we put this weird responsibility on other people to grow us, to grow my children, to grow my community, it literally can't happen now. You think God's a little happy about that? Your sphere right now will not get ministered to if you don't do it. It won't. Youth pastors, kids pastors, your teachers, they can't do it. YouTube can't do it. A 30-minute message up here every Sunday can't do it. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to identify who your people are. Who are you leading? Hmm. Is it your neighbor's? Is it your workplace? Are you somebody who's still very much plugged into your work life? I know that that's not the reality for a lot of people, but for a lot of people, it really is. You're on Zoom calls every day. You're still plugged into your work life. You're still plugged in with your employer. You're still plugged in with your coworkers. Those are your people. You're a leader. Is it your cul-de-sac? Is it your kids? If you live with young kids in the house or teenage kids in the house, you're a leader. Maybe it's your roommates. Maybe you need to be step into a position of leadership in your roommates' lives. Maybe it's yourself. And for the single people that are doing this thing in isolation, I'm with you, I'm for you, I love you. And I know that this has been really difficult, but you, you don't get to miss this opportunity. I want you to know you're not left out of this opportunity. Maybe it's your small group. Guys, we launched small groups right before this whole close down happened. I know most of them, I believe, are still meeting on Zoom, online. How are we leading in those arenas? Hear me. I absolutely love the prophetic culture of Acts 2 Church. But are these walls prophetic? Are, is there something prophetic about this room? Because if it's only happening when you're in here, then uh-oh, we have a really big problem. Now is the time you need to be using your giftings more than ever. Every single person listening to me needs to give a prophetic or an encouraging word to someone this week before next Sunday. I just gave you homework. You will feel better when you're activated in who you were called to be. When you're doing what's inside of you to do, release that thing. And it doesn't have to be weird or hard, prophesying over somebody. All it is is just giving them an encouraging word about what the word says. If you know nothing else, you can tell them Jesus loves them. Also, pause. Don't wait to be a leader until you think you've got everything together. Some of you are listening to me and saying, I I can't lead because I don't have this part of my life together. Or I can't lead because I don't have perfect theology funny moment here. Listen, (laughs) I was going to tell you this at the top and I scratched it, but now I'm going to embarrass myself anyways. Um, I can only be who I am, you guys. Um, So I'm not a theologian, Um, not even close. In fact, this week, my my teacher husband, who I adore, um, reminded me that I had gotten two major biblical characters very confused with one another to an embarrassing level. And I'm not going to tell you who they were, because if I did, you'd be like, why do they let this woman preach? (laughs) It wasn't Jesus. Just know that. Okay. (laughs) I know who he is. (laughs) Okay. But I'm not waiting until I know every scripture reference to be able to be a leader. I'm not waiting to make sure I know everything perfectly. That's like, guys, that's like seeing a homeless person or somebody who's desperate for food, a starving child on the side of the road and walking by and going, I'm sorry, I don't have a banquet. All I have is this tiny little sandwich. I can't give you the sandwich. I can't. You need a banquet and I can't give you this. No, 
If Jesus is the testimony of your life, that's enough. If you have something to say about what he's done for you, it will feed a hungry person. That was not in my notes. How about our declarations, you guys? We say these things, which by the way, I cut them about half on accident. <laughs> but um, we say these things, I am powerful, I am important. If that only, if we only believe that when there are 99 other voices loudly cheering it on side of us, then it's not a declaration, it's flattery. It's not something we're declaring over our life, it's just happy, pretty words that we're shouting out loud. It needs to mean something. And right now, more than ever, we actually get to test this stuff, put rubber to the road and go, okay, when I scream with 99 other people that I'm important, do I believe that or, or do I not believe that really yet? It doesn't disqualify you from saying it. It just means you need to say it until you believe it. All right. Number two. Well, this is actually a two, but it's also a question. So how do you lead them? Now you, you've identified your people. How do you lead them? Step one, feed yourself. You got to feed yourself. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, even though you're not here. How many of you are realizing that one weekly word does not a healthy diet make? The things that we've said, we've said this for a long time, but it is painfully obvious now. 40 minutes of a message virtually on Sunday will make you famished by Tuesday. So you cannot function. If you're not feeding yourself, it is time for your own fork to go to your own plate, to your own mouth. I'm sorry if it sounds harsh, but I'm speaking from my own experience. When I tell you, I have to be in the word every single day. I have to be in his presence every single day, or I literally cannot survive. Ask my husband. <laughs> not just some good girl. I'm not talking about some good church girl quiet time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like complete and total submission to his voice and to his heart and to his presence. Or I get weird and kind of horrible. Okay. I can't. I, I wonder... I wonder if this is how it always was, but we had so many distractions that we didn't know we were starving because we stayed full on other things. And so in the old life, Andrew's message probably could sustain me because the rest of the week, Monday through Saturday, I was getting full on other stuff. There's no other stuff now. So I'm learning that I have to eat. I'm learning how to eat. And it's really good. At the very least, you're learning that you need to. If you haven't learned how to yet, hopefully you're at least feeling the hunger. What does the hunger feel like? What does emptiness feel like? Well, it can feel like loneliness. It can feel like depression. It can feel like isolation. It can feel like your thoughts are out of control. It can feel like all of those things that you're experiencing gonna challenge you with getting in his presence on the regular is the only solution. Feeding yourself. Okay. Bonus, something kind of amazing happens when you stay full, people around you get hungry. I heard Beth Taylor say one time, if the people around you aren't hungry, it's because they're not watching you eat. People have to see you eating. And that's the beauty of the, of the kingdom, you guys, is that we eat to stay full, to get hungry again, to get full again, to get hungry again. It's this perpetual cycle. If you don't yet have a hunger for the word, get in the word until you do. Seriously. Okay. I got to move on or I'll be here for an hour. All right. 
Step two, how can you lead your people? Call out their giftings. Here's where I'm going to get really practical. You ready? So how do we do that? This right now is the best time in history to seek out the God gold in every person under your leadership. I hate that phrase. I want to lead like this, not like this. Okay. I want to lead underneath you. I don't want to lead over you, but it's, it works for our phrasing. So every person in your leadership, they are hungrier now than ever to know who they were created to be to know how they function in a family, to know how, how important they are to your, to your work team. I don't work in corporate America, so I don't know what that's called. Your people, okay? They are hungry to know how they're important to your life. Your neighbors want to know that you care that they're okay. They want to know who they are now more than ever. If you're married or if you're a parent, this looks like Going on that search, that beautiful treasure hunt to find out what is uniquely God designed in every child or member of your family and calling it out. And then depending on their age, giving them responsibilities for this season, activating their calling. Because remember, we're sort of in this strange season right now and it's unto what's coming next. So everybody has to be activated. So how can you do that? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little, a few ideas and then maybe in the YouTube or the Facebook or wherever this is happening. I think it's on YouTube right now. You guys can be commenting on some other ideas and stirring each other up. And you can do this for your roommates too. Maybe you have a little prophet in your home. Put them in charge of the family's worship playlist for the day. Ask them to spend five minutes a day deciding how the family's gonna worship together. Maybe they wanna lead the family in prophetic art. Maybe they wanna choose a song that you guys, you guys are gonna sing together, Okay. Maybe you have a real studier, somebody who's really a thinker. Put them in charge of which Bible story the family is going to read. Or better yet, let them prepare a message if they're ready for that. I know the Hofstadters do this really well. So maybe Jay can jump in at some point and give you guys some good ideas. Or you can reach out to him because he's really, really fantastic about this. Maybe you have a real sensitive child. I have a very sensitive child in your home. I relate to him deeply. Ask him, ask them to see, to maybe they can help you see when others in the family are in need. He's constantly aware of who needs a hug right now. Maybe make them captain of hugs. Hey, who in the family really needs a hug right now? Who, who in the family could really use an encouraging word? And put them, make them captain of hugs and then make sure they get lots of hugs too. <laughs> Maybe you could initiate a family hot seat every week where one person gets to sit in the center and everybody gets to prophesy over them or encourage them or just tell them what they're grateful for about them. It doesn't have to be super woo spiritual. You can just tell them how awesome they are. Let the evangelist in the family lead the family mission to love on your neighbors with prayer, with notes in their mailboxes. I know the, um, that Lucia and Mark Davison did this this week. They just wrote little notes to their neighbors and they walked around the neighborhood and put them in and the response they got over text and people calling was overwhelming. People were like, I can't, I can't believe, you can't, can't believe you did that. <laughs> they left a note just to tell them, we're here for you, we love you. Maybe put the family evangelist in charge of that. Every member of the family could give a word of encouragement at the dinner table each night to someone else. And look, it doesn't have to be all organized and churchy. It doesn't have to be just your organized family church time, though that's, that's great. It's wonderful. But you could have one kid in charge of family game night for connection. 
Have another one create posters to go around your neighborhood for your neighbors to see on walks. There's so many things. Ask questions. Go deep into their hearts. Show them your walk with Jesus and show them your heart. Well, what about your coworkers? Again, this is not my area of expertise, but hey, they are really thirsty for living water. Thirstier now than ever. The world is is parched. So on your Zoom calls, how can you be injecting the kingdom? How can you call out the God gold in your coworkers or in your leadership or in your classmates, kids that are watching? I know you're doing virtual school a lot of the time. So you can be on your Zoom call. What can you be doing to encourage the kid that looks like maybe they need a little more encouragement? Could you be the voice of hope when everyone else logged into the Zoom call is in despair? I've been on a Zoom call like that where everyone is really down and and it's hard and it's difficult. And if you can be the one person to say, yeah, guys, it is hard. I want to acknowledge that. That's true. This is hard, but I know God's going to win, right? It's not naive. We're not pretending that it's not difficult. We're inviting him right into the middle of the difficulty with us. In fact, that's how he came. He, he couldn't wait for it to be clean and perfect before he came. He came right in the middle of a big mess, really big mess. All right, anyway, I'm not gonna go there. Okay, could you be the one that's more concerned about how everyone else on the Zoom call is doing than you are about your own stuff in that moment? Again, I'm not saying to shove it down. In fact, I'm getting to that point. But what I am saying is, can you be on mission when you're on Zoom? <laughs> can you be, be on mission when you're connecting? I've heard already testimonies from, um, from several of my friends who are like, I'm injecting kingdom in my work calls. I know it's happening. Keep it up. All right, your neighbors are starving for connection. How could you be leading them, supporting them, praying for them? And guys, this one's for everyone. Encourage your friends, call your friends, text, reach out, and please don't forget the introverts. Some of my favorite people are introverts, and there's been this message that they're like living their best life. Oh, the introvert, it's the introvert's time. They're shining now. They're introverts, they're not antisocial. They don't hate people. So it's not like they're all just like so happy right now. Every, I, I, seriously, everybody's like, I'm an extrovert, so it's worse for me. It's not, I am an extrovert, but I understand that introverts are not antisocial. They, they need people, okay? So don't, don't forget your, ex, your introvert friends. Um, but seriously, call, text. Don't assume, don't assume that anybody is above needing a call or a text message. All right redefine what's valuable. This is step three. So we're leading your people. You've just learned how to lead your people. Now, number three, redefine what's valuable. Listen up. You ready? Consumerism has been dethroned. Busyness is deceased. These things had to die. They had no choice. If we walk right, and now pause. I know some of you are still incredibly busy and I feel for you and I'm praying for you. Um, But our old way of doing busyness is different. But for most of us, busyness is dead. If we walk right back into our old way of doing things when this is over, we are really going to miss the new thing. We require rest. We are actually required right now to slow our pace. The pace at which we were running is not sustainable for what we are going to be carrying in the next season. I am a go, 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 run hard, run fast, do it all, do all the things, go hard all the time. But if I don't slow down, I cannot carry the amount that he's anointed me to carry. 
I know that what he's anointed me to carry is big and I can't run with all of that. I can't run that fast. From what I read about the pace of Jesus, it looks nothing like the breakneck pace of our society pre-coronavirus. He actually was a real slow kind of fella. He walked slow. He took rest. He took naps. It looked a lot more like our pace now. So why are we so quick to want to return to the rush, rush, rush way that it was if that wasn't working? I know there have been some stories come out about the world healing like some of our water is cleaner and the, the, the canals in Venice are clearing up and um, there's some top high mountains, I don't know. There's some tall places that you can like see the top for the first time ever because the fog and the yucky pollution is clearing. Thank you for the six people in the room who are here to help me with my words. Um, yeah, right? So things, we're slowing down. The world is healing. People are sleeping. Naps are being had. Jesus dealt with massive storms by taking naps. So I think naps are a good idea, <laughs> right? We're in the middle of a storm. I think I'm going to sleep. All right. We literally right now, we can't overspend. We can't overcommit. We can't burn out. So what can we do? We can do family dinners. Stein Spring family core value is the family table. That's one of our core values. How many family tables are actually seeing every face around them again for the first time in months, maybe even years? How can we capitalize on this? Having the family table. Maybe it's time to tell some stories. Maybe it's time to pass on some legacy. Maybe it's time to instill some core values. We can rest. We can slow down. We can release pressure. You can give your best for today, knowing that your best today may look different from your best yesterday. Deep conversations are being had because we're not completely overspent every day. We can have community, kind of. It looks different. Look outside, be in nature, choose each other, choose connection. I see kids in my neighborhood on their bikes that I didn't even know lived in my neighborhood. That's real. They're like, what do I do all day? I can't play computer games all day long. So I'm seeing children. And I'm like, I didn't even know that they had kids living there. It's awesome. It's a great, great thing. Be present. Be present in the moment. Number four is generosity. The people of Acts 2 were defined in the Bible, hopefully here too, but also in the Bible. That's what I'm talking about. The people of Acts chapter two were defined by their generosity towards one another. So I'm not saying that you have to sell all of your belongings to help the needy, but I am saying that generosity of spirit is how the world is gonna know us in this season. A lot of people are in fear. And when we're in fear, we cling to what's ours. We get real uh, closed about our resources. The people who stand out are the people who are giving away. And your resources aren't just your money, it's your time. It's your talent. It's your encouragement. It's your convenience. It's continuing to be open-handed, reaching out, being present, being available, giving away. Don't be a hoarder. It is very easy for me in freak-out mode to go, ah, my stuff, <laughs> but we actually have an unending well of resources, right? All right, I'm gonna move on to my last point. My last point is this. We are in a season now where we need to allow the pressing and allow the crushing. 
we are being forced to come face to face with our internal world right now. If you were in here, I would ask you to raise your hand and to tell me if you've had to face your own yuck in this time. Fear, lies, yucky belief systems, meltdowns, dark thoughts, self-deprecation, depression, loneliness, all of those things. Every hand in the room would go up if you were here. Things are coming up in this time that we have not had to deal with before. One, because we haven't had the time. So it would come up and be like, I'm not dealing with that. I don't have the time for that. But I think we're actually seeing right now how important our internal world is. How important it is to take every thought captive. To be aware of our emotions. Things, uh, here's what I do know. Whatever is coming up in this season is coming up to go out. So don't you dare stuff it. Right now is the time for you to get with Holy Spirit and to go deep. I will tell you, I was in spiritual retreat mode this week. I had a serious moment where I had to go, Andy, I need a break. I need to get with Jesus. And I'm blessed that we were able to do that. And I was able to go and have some time. And a lot of stuff was really getting triggered inside of me a lot of really yucky stuff was coming out. We're talking about a multi-hour cry session of Jesus showing me some really deep stuff, some stuff from my childhood, some triggers from today, some stuff that was coming up, new levels of performance getting taken out. But if it's coming up in this season, it just means it has no place in the next season. That's why he's dealing with it today. My mama taught me that. So let it come up. Let, do the deal, do the dealing and let it go because he's preparing his bride for what coming and he, what's coming. And hear me, doing the work of dealing looks a lot like me on my face in his presence doing nothing. It's not striving. I think striving is another thing that has to die in this season. It's another thing that's dying because ain't nobody got the energy for that. <laughs> we actually have to learn how to rest in his presence and rest in his spirit and just be comforted by his voice at all times. We have to learn how to be sustained by his nearness at all times. I'm trying in this season to hold myself to a <laughs> realistic standard. Those who know me know that that's not typically my MO. I'm holding myself to a normal standard. Why? Because my best in this season looks like me going really deep with myself. Being present emotionally. Taking care of my mind. Taking my thoughts captive being present with my people and going extra deep with my Jesus. I think we're in the dark room right now. I know many of you have probably heard Christine Kane talk about the dark room. If you haven't, I think the message is on YouTube. Find it today. But we're in the incubator. We're in the dark room waiting to be developed in the wine press. And so everything that is good has to be pressed and crushed and developed before it comes to what it's meant to be. But if we can stay activated and get healthy and go deeper with him, we get intentional with our people. We're going to be stronger than ever. And what we're going to come out with is new wine. And that can look like days of rest. I have been pressed. This has been hard. There have been tears every day. I am submitting all to my Jesus again and again and again. And I'm ready to run into who he's called to me to be, not by my own strength or ability, because I don't have that to give, not by my own performance, but because I'm willing right now to be fully submitted to him, to be shaped 
and molded and conformed into who he's created me to be. Step six, short one, get ready. Get ready for us to all be back together again and for a celebration to completely blow the roof off of this place and every other church across the world. I expect worship to be filled with jubilee in a new way. I expect our need for a weekly gathering is gonna shift from the thing that keeps us spiritually afloat because we're learning how to do that now. We're learning how to feed ourselves, how to be strong, how to be grounded, how to be rooted, how to be present, how to be emotionally healthy, how to take our thoughts captive, how to be mentally healthy, We're having to learn how to do that. So our weekly gathering is going to shift from the thing that keeps us spiritually and emotionally afloat to a true celebration of family and connection to the true design of the original church coming together to celebrate our wins, to hold each other up, to celebrate together. Listen, the billion soul harvest is going to require every single person to be activated. And if every other church in America or in the world just got multiplied by 40, then we're more poised today than ever before. This can be something we survive, or it can be something that we take our place on the front lines of the church's most critical and powerful revolution of all time. I'm going to close this out right now. I'm just going to read to you Acts 2, the last part of the chapter. We're real familiar with the first part, right? Holy Spirit coming and fire falling. But what happened after 3,000 were added to their numbers and everyone was baptized? Acts 2.42 says, Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body and they, they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily, they met together in the temple courts and in one another's home to celebrate communion. They shared meals with joyful hearts and tender humility and they were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Right now, Jesus, I ask that you just show us where we are in this season. Thank you for your incubator. Thank you for the dark room. Jesus, we submit to this season. Thank you that when we recognize your seasons and we're aware of where we are, that we get to tap into the grace that you have for this season for us. Thank you that what you're doing in us now is unto something. And I believe, Jesus, that you are ready to unleash the bride in a new way, to come together in celebration, to be more activated than ever before, to be more deeply rooted than ever before, to be more grounded in you than ever before, and to be more spiritually full than ever before so that we can see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's all I have for you guys. Miss you, love you. Activate your people, lead your people, give everybody in your life, in your world right now a big hug for me. And um, we'll see you virtually again next week. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people, and live life.